Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd. I'm Andrea Linares. Here are today's headlines. Dire warning, the head of the CDC says a second wave of coronavirus is likely to be worse and the U.S. needs to prepare for what lies ahead. Hopes dashed as research into an anti-malaria drug being pushed by the president shows no benefit and more deaths. Plus, congressional leaders and the White House strike a deal to send billions more in aid to small businesses and hospitals. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin now with several major developments today in the coronavirus pandemic, as more than 825,000 people in the U.S. have tested positive, with more than 45,000 deaths. There's a major warning from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention about another wave of coronavirus next winter, which could be even more difficult to fight. And a big shift in the coronavirus timeline. We're learning now that coronavirus killed Americans weeks earlier than we first thought. And President Trump backs off a full immigration ban, announcing a 60-day stop to immigrants seeking green cards. Let's start with that critical new warning about what to expect in the months that lie ahead. Today, as the pandemic curve appears to flatten in some areas, a dire new warning from the head of the CDC. Dr. Robert Redfield telling The Washington Post a second wave of the coronavirus later this year could be more difficult than the current strand. The concern is that in the fall, both coronavirus and flu might hit at the same time. I don't know if it will be worse. I think this has been pretty bad. So we're going to continue that surveillance from now all the way through the fall to be able to give us that early warning signal. Meanwhile, new details about the first COVID-19 related deaths in the U.S. Santa Clara County in Northern California says two people who died in their homes on February 6th and February 17th had coronavirus three weeks earlier than the first reported fatality in Kirkland, Washington. The CDC tested tissue samples from their autopsies. The medical examiner says the people who died in February did not have any known travel histories and that it is presumed they contracted the virus from community spread. Also, a government-funded analysis found the malaria drug hydroxychloroquine, touted by President Trump, did not keep sick COVID patients alive or even off ventilators. The study was done on 368 patients at the United States Veterans Health Administration Medical Centers. Researchers say 97 patients who took hydroxychloroquine had a nearly 30 percent death rate. The 158 patients who did not take the drug had an 11.4 percent death rate. There are no proven safe and effective therapies for the coronavirus. California's public health officials are recommending for the first time that asymptomatic people living or working in high-risk settings, such as nursing homes, hospitals, prisons, and even some households, should now be considered a priority. For testing. And speaking of testing, word that Abbott's rapid coronavirus test can produce false negatives. The problem lies in viral transport media, which is used to store swabs until they can be tested. Pathologists at Cleveland Clinic say only about 85% of confirmed cases actually tested positive. The test had been used for about two weeks before the problem was uncovered. 
Meantime, medical experts are concerned people are avoiding the hospital because they fear COVID-19. Several groups, including the American Heart Association, warned there's been a decrease in the number of life-threatening emergencies coming to hospitals across the country. The emergencies included heart attacks and strokes. Experts worry people have suffered those conditions but have refused to go for treatment. They note that hospitals have protocols in place to sanitize their facilities and to keep COVID-19 patients in isolation. An alliance of southern states is working to reopen their economies despite getting pushback from mayors and not yet seeing a decline in cases. This as Massachusetts deals with the worst days. Missouri makes the move to sue China and New York's governor meets with President Trump. Lorraine Gassidis reports. Three southern states moving to jumpstart their economies despite not being able to report a two-week decline in cases as White House guidelines recommend. On Tuesday, South Carolina allowing beaches to reopen. It's showtime! Some department stores, flower shops and other non-essential businesses back open too. We're excited about the future and we're positive and we're just really glad um, we can have people in the store again. In Tennessee, the vast majority of businesses allowed to reopen May 1st, but some as early as next week. And in Georgia, backlash from some mayors after the governor announced gyms, nail salons and bowling alleys could reopen this Friday. I pray that the number of Georgians who are infected and die will not increase significantly in the coming weeks as a result of the lifting of these restrictions. This says Missouri takes an unprecedented step suing China over the coronavirus, alleging the Chinese government, its Communist Party and other institutions suppressed information, arrested whistleblowers and did little to contain the spread, resulting in loss of life and economic consequences for the state and the world. Meanwhile, in states like Massachusetts, coronavirus cases are spiking. The state now with the third most in the country, more than 41,000, and the death toll at almost 2,000. We're still very much in the grips of a pandemic here in Massachusetts. The state now hiring 1,000 contact tracers who call anyone who has spent more than 15 minutes in close contact with someone who has tested positive, asking them to self-isolate for two weeks. In hard-hit New York, signs of progress. Our calculus of good, our definition of good has changed here. Good is now not terrible. Governor Andrew Cuomo traveling to Washington, urging President Trump to help coordinate the supply chain needed to ramp up testing, both calling the meeting productive. The coming days will definitely be an uphill battle for mayors across the country that are opposed to reopening their cities. In Texas, for instance, Dallas County extended its stay-at-home orders until May 15th, but Governor Greg Abbott said that if he orders businesses to open next week, his authority would take precedence. Andrea, back to you. Lorraine, thank you. And President Trump says he wants to pull the USNS Comfort Hospital ship out of New York. The president says he asked Governor Andrew Cuomo if the ship can be sent to another location hit by the coronavirus. 
Earlier in the day, Cuomo said New York no longer needed the Navy ship. Trump's statement came just hours after the Navy, Navy reassigned 50 additional personnel to that vessel. The USNS Comfort came to New York on March 30th to help the city during the coronavirus outbreak. Officials say it has only treated about 180 people and the number of new patients has been declining. The Wisconsin state legislature is suing to force its state government to drop its safer at home order. The suit claims the government did not have the authority to order the shutdown of many of the businesses in that state. The lawmakers are asking the court to place a temporary injunction to allow businesses and places like parks to reopen. President Trump signing an executive order today restricting legal immigration into the country. This as the Senate struck a deal on a fresh round of help for struggling small businesses. Claudia Uceda has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Claudia, what can you tell us? That's right. Good afternoon from Washington. The president says that his executive order prohibits immigration and protects U.S. workers. Trump says that it won't impact those in the country on a temporary basis. It will only impact those who are looking for green cards with hope of staying in the country. The president in a news conference yesterday said that it will not impact guest worker programs such as farm workers, but the move will suspend immigration during a 60-day period and will impact those seeking employment-based green cards and relatives of green card holders who are not citizens. Democrats are accusing Trump of politicizing the issue and said that he is using the pandemic to be tougher on immigration. This happens as all eyes are on a new emergency package that will inject money to the government loan program for small businesses, to hospitals and for testings. This package was approved yesterday in the Senate and it will be approved tomorrow in the House of Representatives, then will go to the White House for the president's signature. Now, back to you. Hundreds of thousands of residents in Los Angeles County could have unknowingly contracted COVID-19 and were not counted as having been infected. According to one study, though, it's possible that more than 400,000 people in Los Angeles have antibodies in their blood in response to the disease, indicating they had the virus. Jaime Garcia tells us about the antibody tests and why many Latinos have not been tested. A new story seems to suggest that in Los Angeles County, the most populated county in the nation. Hundreds of thousands of people have been infected with the coronavirus. When we tested about 863 individuals who were representative of LA County, that can help us to decide how high is the percentage of people infected with possible immunity. And that can be a factor to decide if they can go back to work. Utilizing the results from the sample group tested, it is projected that somewhere between 221,000 to 442,000 Angelinos have been infected with the coronavirus, numbers significantly higher than the official tally of 14,427 confirmed cases until yesterday. That would mean that our mortality rate, which we've been measuring at about 4.5%, would be much lower. It would mean many more people have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus. Something worrisome is that very few Latinos have taken the test to detect the antibodies. 
because they don't have access to the test. The preliminary results of the study were revealed at the same time that some alerts were issued about the accuracy of the test results to detect antibodies. Esa mortalidad puede bajar the majority a, a are not approved by the CDC in the United States. They have an emergency authorization to be able to use them at this moment. Los Angeles Health authorities warned that it's very early to know if the presence of antibodies to the coronavirus mean that the person is immune. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. Thank you, Jaime. Nurses in Arizona speaking out after protesters gathered Monday to demand the governor reopen the state. The small gathering of healthcare workers held a silent counter protest and listened to demonstrators who called them fake nurses. Others told them the virus is a hoax. One man says he thinks his grandfather is not getting adequate care because healthcare workers are prioritizing coronavirus cases. An ICU nurse who took the day off to work and participate says her silence enabled her to better understand this situation. Let's listen. It was eye-opening and it was very sobering and very sad at the same time. I think that the the beauty in being able to silently protest and not engage with these people allowed us to see what they really thought. Leander says her goal at the counter protest was to represent COVID-19 patients. Many nursing homes have become coronavirus traps. Almost one in 10 have residents who have tested positive. And although most states do not report the number of people who die in them, authorities are discovering dozens of fatalities Blanca Rosa Vilches tells us why some of these centers are so vulnerable. The numbers are stunning around the country. In nursing homes, 7,000 people have died from coronavirus. However, the total could be much higher. Nursing homes are still our number one concern. The nursing home is the optimum feeding ground for this virus. At some facilities, dozens have died. 55 people at the Coney Hill Health Center in Brooklyn, at least 45 at the Kings Harbor Multicare Center in the Bronx, and in Andover, New Jersey, at least 68 people have died since January, dozens from coronavirus. They feel particularly vulnerable in that nobody's really checking in on them, right? Their home attendants are coming in. They are not able to go uh, to their doctor's appointments because nobody can pick them up to take them to their doctor's appointment. And so you know, it's very it's very critical and, and certainly one of the most vulnerable populations who is experiencing this. Omar Ramirez is a volunteer who distributes food to the elderly in New York. 80% of the building, 125 units or 125 apartments, 80% of those apartments are occupied by elderly. And so majority of them aren't able to leave their home to go, like I said, to their doctor's appointments or to go buy food, right? Like the necessary things. 85% of the people who have died in this country due to coronavirus are older than 65. By far, it's the population most affected by this pandemic. In Hoboken, New Jersey, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. The Brazilian city of Manaus in the state of Amazonas is dealing with an overwhelming crisis due to coronavirus. Excavators are now digging mass graves for coronavirus victims there. 
The city is seeing more than 100 burials a day. That's more than three times the average before the pandemic. The mayor of Manaus says the health system is no longer able to accommodate those who need treatment and that people are dying even at home. Brazil has reported more than 43,000 coronavirus cases, including at least 2,700 deaths. Meanwhile, in Chile, the government is rolling out COVID-19 IDs. These ID cards will be given to those who have recovered from COVID-19 and makes them exempt from strict social distancing measures. The next phase in Chile's response will be to provide the IDs to people who have tested positive for COVID-19 antibodies, even when not representing any symptoms. And during the pandemic, a Mexican doctor has gone from economic uncertainty to recovering his professional income. After facing hardships as a doctor, he decided to become a juice and snack vendor. But the need for healthcare professionals to combat the disease drove him back to his original profession. Jessica Cermeño has the story. As soon as Mexico's president asked for their help, hundreds of doctors, nurses and technicians lined up for hours, waiting for their spot on the front lines. Among them was a doctor named Alfredo Ortiz Camacho. Initially, it's for six months, but we'd like a permanent spot. Ortiz is a surgeon with a busy practice in a pharmacy in Mexico City. But his client list vanished with the pandemic. The truth is that it's not only me. Clientele has dried up for all kinds of businesses. We have to unite as colleagues to help people. He didn't get a spot. When his turn was up, the 600 available jobs had been filled. But he didn't give up. Televisa's cameras followed him back home and captured his tenacity. With his wife's help, he turned his medical office into a snack stand. You must take off your coat from time to time, roll up your sleeves and plow ahead. I've had to set chicharrones and deliver smoothies. His story got the attention of Mexico's director of the Institute of Social Security, Zoe Robledo, who called Ortiz to come join his rank fighting the pandemic. We're ready to help all the patients. We must give our lives for our patients. His family is quite proud that I love him very much. I can't give him a hug, but I can send it to him. Like this. Reported in Mexico City by Jessica Sarmeño, this is Romina Leon for U News. In neighboring Peru, a nun in the capital city of Lima is doing her bit to fight the spread of coronavirus. She's helping disinfect the streets of the capital. Nun Rebecca Frick used a farm tractor to fumigate and disinfect the streets, working with locals and health officials to keep residential areas free of the virus. Peru has nearly 18,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus and more than 480 deaths. And in Colombia, students at one university were able to attend graduation ceremonies remotely with the help of a robot. At the Magdalena University, a robot with a tablet displayed the faces of graduates who logged on at home. In place of the graduates, the robot motored to the front of the ceremony to receive their diplomas. More of you news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Across the United States, Chinese restaurants appear to be taking a massive hit from the coronavirus outbreak. Close to 60 percent of them have stopped taking credit and debit card transactions, according to tracking site Wompley. That could indicate those restaurants are not up and running anymore. Local business leaders say only a fraction of restaurants in New York's and San Francisco's Chinatowns are still operating. Netflix subscriptions are up with so many people staying home. The streaming service says it added nearly 16 million new subscribers in the first quarter. That's more than double its earlier estimates. And the social media app Snapchat is reporting a surge in users as people across the globe are staying inside to stay safe. The media sharing app says its number of daily active users jumped about 20 percent in the first quarter of 2020. That's a total of 229 million users. In some of the hardest hit areas by COVID-19, the company notes interactions increased more than 50 percent. As the pandemic hits people's wallets, returning leased cars is becoming an increasing problem for some drivers. And that's because some car dealerships are unwilling to take the cars back, even when the lease term is up. Let's go to attorney Robert Starr. He's representing several clients in this exact situation. Robert, explain to us what is going on. What are your clients telling you? Well, basically what we're being told is that the dealerships are not, they don't have the ability to take the car back, the cars back <clears throat> because they don't have the space for them and they don't have the staff to, to take them back as well. And basically consumers are being asked to extend their leases by a couple months uh, until this situation passes. Now, this would be basically the dealership saying that they're unwilling to take the cars back would be a breach of contract, correct? So how do you go about that? Yeah, the contract is between the consumer and the finance company. And so if a dealership is refusing to take the car back, the consumer really has a breach of contract situation with the finance company. And the consumer should reach out to the finance company and basically say, look, you know, you have an obligation to take this car back. And if you don't allow me to return it, I'm going to incur damages, such as having to keep it insured, keep a garage and uh, make sure the car is safe and also pay for the registration. Because a lot of times, if it's like a three-year lease, then once you get past that three-year mark, you have to pay for the registration again. So in those types of situations, what the consumer should do is reach out to the manufacturer, to the finance company, and send them a letter of certified mail return receipt saying, I want to return my car right now, and you're not letting me do that, and as a result of that, I'm suffering damage. What exactly is a market for cars after the lease, especially now during this pandemic? You know, it's really, it's going to become a buyer's market because right now uh, there's a glut of cars. And, you know, usually what happens with any business is they, they do projected sales. They say, okay, you know, we're going to sell this many cars per month. So they're going to have a, a pipeline of 
inventory coming in. But nobody expected something like this to happen. So now what, what's happening is dealerships are sitting on a glut of cars and they need to get rid of them. So what's going to end up happening with that is the manufacturers are going to incentivize the dealerships and give you know provide rebates for the consumers and also something called trunk money for the dealerships where they say, look, for every car you sell, we'll give you an extra certain amount of money in, uh, in income. Um, what's happening on the... Uh, on the auction level, is that usually what happens when these cars come back off of lease, the either the dealership where the car is being returned will uh, buy the car from the from the finance company, or they'll send it to uh, an auction. But what's happening now is that it's the auction prices are falling on these cars because there's such a glut of them. Now, your clients are also coming up against another problem, and that's returning cars that have malfunctioned and are under warranty. What are they telling you about that? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, my firm does a lot of lemon law cases. So we have, you know, a lot of many, many cars every month that consumers are able to get the manufacturers to buy back, and the consumers get a refund of the money that they've paid. But what's happening now is that the manufacturers are saying, look, we're going to have to delay uh, buying these cars back for a variety of different reasons. One reason is that the transfer agents that they use are temporarily shut down, so they can't actually physically take the cars back. And then a lot, also a lot of the manufacturers have furloughed um, the employees that are supposed to process these transactions. So for a variety of different reasons, they just can't take them back right now. Well, thank you so much, Attorney Robert Starr. Hopefully all this settles soon. I have a lease myself, which is actually up. I already did the legwork, called them, and arranged a day to drop off the vehicle. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.